Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, episode number 29. And today we will be talking with Roosevelt Hampton, a 17-year career firefighter. Also, he was a staff sergeant in the U.S. Army National Guard with two deployments to Kosovo and Afghanistan. And we talk about a little bit of everything. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode number 29 of the Washdown Podcast. Green or look at... You look wherever you want to look. you can look wherever you want, dude. Well, um, (laughs) where do I begin? I don't know. Why don't you begin at the beginning or in the middle or maybe three quarters of the way through? All right. Okay. Sounds good. (laughs) I I like when they start at the end and then jump back to the beginning. I like the Guy Ritchie movies, though, where it's like it just jumps around a lot. And then it doesn't really happen the way that he just showed you that it happened in the scene before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> See, I like, I like those movies when I watch, watch them by myself. Because when I watch them with my wife, I have to play 100 questions and I get mad. And I have to yell at her. Yeah, dude. I, I, yeah. 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 Or when we watch a new movie and she starts, starts asking questions. Like, I don't know. I'm watching the same damn thing you are. How about you shut up and watch so I can figure it out and then tell you later. I got something for you. Go to the movie theater the, same and thing. watch the new movies. Nope. They tell you, shh. Nope. She still talks. Okay. I can't help you, sir. That and I don't like going to the movie theaters. Yeah. Still My wife does the, the same thing. She talks during And then TV she's like, and, and then it's like, well, what'd they say? Well, I don't know. You were talking. Yeah, we'll just rewind it. That's not how this works. <laughs> not today. Not ever. No. And I just don't wait to watch movies with her. I watch them. <laughs> now, there are <laughs> some things that are scheduled. I have to wait. Doesn't happen very often because I don't watch a lot of movies. I'm not waiting anymore. I, I just I told her, I was like, I'm not waiting anymore. Because it takes yeah. too long. Well, or you just watch them and don't tell her and then you watch them together. And then you seem like a genius whenever she asks you a good question, you answer it. Like, oh, you see that coming? Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, Army of the really? Dead, perfect example. Still, She still wants to watch it. Yeah. I watched it like two, three weeks ago. I can relate. I'm on season two of Chosen. My wife is still on season one. Is that the YouTube one? No, I usually watch it. Well, they do show it on the YouTube, but I watch it on the Chosen app. Okay. I, know, I worked with a guy who was talking about that the other day. It's pretty good, man. I don't think I've heard of it. It's the Bible put into cinema. Oh. The stories of the Bible. Oh, okay. With actual characters. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, they were talking about it. I was like, I might check that out. It's kind of neat. I like the stories. Yeah. Because you get to see the characters of the people. Well, I mean, there's just something different about watching a movie and reading a book. Rachel and I were having that conversation the other day. We were talking about books and as opposed to movies. And I think me and you were having that conversation mm-hmm. the other day too. And just how you imagine a character in your mind of how they're going to look and how they're going to, you know, do things. And then you watch the movie and it's, it's the same, but it's different. You know, right. there's some details that are missing that were in the book. I, I can't really say I've read a lot of books. 
I'm usually the movie person. Remember that movie Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield? Yes. <laughs> they asked him about My man. He was like, right there. <laughs> nope. Right Go here. Watch the movie. Right here. Right here. <laughs> We're right here. Do not encourage him, Roosevelt. <laughs> I'm that guy. I'm the movie guy. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. We should have had him here with the movies instead of instead our producer. Of Moran, yeah. Yeah. I, hey, we can hit that topic, too. I don't know. We got time. It's a big day. It's a big time. Go to Bed Bath & Beyond. Streaking in the quad. I don't know. Yeah, you're going to be solo like he was. <laughs> yeah. Maybe your wife and her friends can pull up. Yeah. A little cold out there, isn't it, Jeremy? <laughs> It's 90 degrees. Well, that sucks for you, doesn't it? All by himself. <laughs> That's just rude and wrong, dude. On so many levels. On so many levels. Hey, I, it was the movie. It's not my fault. <laughs> so, anyway, to kind of bring it back, Roosevelt, let's talk about you. He's a movie guy. That's all we need to know. Yes. Yeah. What would you like to know about me? So, you've been a firefighter for 17 years. Yes, sir. You were in the military for a long time, deployed a couple times. Yes. So, why are you here? Oh, man, that's a good question. I often ask myself that. It's almost like my daily question to God. Why am I here? I meant specifically why are you at this podcast. Oh, <laughs> oh he got a phone call from a guy who needed a favor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got a phone call from a guy, I think his name was. I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. Oh, it's no. unimportant. Most most but, people. But he called don't me up. I was like, "Hey, guy, what are you doing on this date? Would you like to come speak, have a roundtable discussion?" I'm like, "Sure, why not?" And then he showed up to the square table. So I show up here, <laughs> and it's square, complete letdown, bro. It's all right though. It's all right. You know what? Whenever we move to our new studio here in a couple weeks, we'll have a different table. Okay. It's going to be I mean, oak. It's, it's nice. It's, it's going to be stained. It's sturdy. Yeah. I like the color. Yeah. I would like it to not have this like foamy, foamy top, you know. More solid. Yeah. Was it pleather? Pleather. Yeah. I was actually talking about that with Rachel earlier when we were running errands about, because I'm going to build the table and I was trying to decide what design, you know, what kind of table to build. I want cup holders on the table. It ain't gonna be that fancy, bro. Come on, cell phone deep, chargers. It's gonna be like dish cup, four two by up high. It'll be like four two by fours across some sawhorses. Okay, he's going Louisiana style <laughs> table. Yeah. <sighs> could you play Texas Hold'em on it? You could. Yeah. Probably not very well, but. But you could do it. But you could do it. Yeah. yeah. No, whatever I build is gonna be. I'm gonna make sure that I do it right. Oh yeah, no doubt. Nice. You put the epoxy so. on top. Like what they've been doing with the floors and Clear stuff. Clear coat. You know, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to. I am. I will stain it and coat it. You know, but I don't know that I'm going to. Because that epoxy, man, it's real easy to mess it up. It is. And you get those air bubbles and all of that stuff. What? Who do you have in here, man? Like my microphone just moved. That's the. You it just, see? It, did you see that? This is an old farm. Did you land. see that? Yeah. Did it you know that? Moved. Now, my foot may have accidentally hit it. Accident. I'm not going to say that's what happened, but it's a possibility. But we do know that the microphone moved. But it's back, and we're scored away now. Let's keep going. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so back on topic. So let's start out. Oh, wow. What's there to say? Uh, uh, raised by a single parent. 
uh, worked two jobs at times. Uh, strongest woman I ever knew. Um, she raised five kids while taking care of her father before he passed away. My mom, by that way. Uh, my mom is 82, 82 years old. Can I plug her book? Sure. Toll and Grace is the name of her book by Ozella Hampton. You can order it on Amazon. Don't ask me how much it costs. I kind of got a freebie. <laughs> she but, didn't make you pay for it? <laughs> what's, I may what? have got a freebie. <laughs> <laughs> One more time with the title. Toil and Grace. By Ozella Hampton. O-Z-E-L-L-A Hampton, just like the spelling of the Hampton N. So uh, my mom raised five kids. I was the baby. There's almost uh, 18 years difference between me and my next sibling. Yeah, go figure, right? So I was that, not oops, but I thought I was done. Mm -hmm. So... Then you had me, and I didn't know this, but back in 19, this would have had to be 76, right? Since my mom was older, and I heard this from her, since she was older, uh, the doctor was like, well, Miss Hampton, you have uh, ovarian assists the size of golf balls, and so we're not sure if, you're, if your baby's going to make it. Uh, we suggest that you, I don't know what you would say, the political term would be terminate. abort the baby. Terminate yeah. the pregnancy. Right. And we know she didn't because I'm here. So that's kind of where my journey begins. A little rocky. Then I come into this world, four pounds, two ounces. I'm in the incubator. I think that's what you call it, the little plastic bubble. Yep. And then I lose weight. I lose, I think, a pound and a half. And so I started off fighting. And I guess in some ways I feel like I've been fighting ever since. Mm. Uh, graduated from college. Well, let me rewind because there's a story there. Uh, when I was in high school, I wasn't a star by any means, but my mom made sure that I was active. Baseball, soccer, band, football, track, everything, so that I wouldn't become a statistic. And I can remember it was my senior year, and my weightlifting coach, which was almost like a mentor to me, he said, so Roosevelt, what are you going to do after high school? I went to a military high school, semi-military. And I said, well, I'm not sure. I think I'm going to join the Army and the Marine Corps. I haven't made my decision yet. He said, what about college? I said, well... I can't really afford to go to college. Got some partial scholarships, but nothing big. So he said, well, there's a gentleman by the name of Dan Stanley. You remember my friend Dan Stanley? And I said, the guy who brought his football players up to here for you to teach him how to power lift. He goes, yeah. He saw you in the gym that day. He asked me a few questions, and he's watched you over the last two years. And he wants to offer you a full-ride scholarship to Missouri Valley. Ah, oh, come on, man. Yeah, I mean, real. this is out of the clear, but this is after lunch. And I'm like, uh, you, you're playing with me, right? He says, no, I'm, I'm really not playing with you. Can he give you a call? 
So I give him the number. He calls my mom. Two days later, he's sitting in my living room. This is something off a of TV for me. Mind you, I wasn't a star. I wasn't a blue chipper. I had good work ethic and determination. And I never quit. Maybe that's what he saw. I don't know. Long story short, I get a football scholarship from Missouri Valley. Now you're asking your question the same thing I was asking myself at the time. Where is Missouri Valley? <laughs> I've never heard of this place before. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, Missouri Valley is in a small town, 75 miles east of, let's say, the Blue Springs area off 65 Highway. And in that small town of Marshall, there's a college, Missouri Valley College. And I didn't know this, but my freshman year when I was in a marching band, we actually performed at their halftime show. So when I got, I was like, oh, things start coming back to me. Yep. So I go on Good Friday, I remember, 96, 1996. Me, my sister, my niece and nephew, my mom was out of town. We go to Missouri Valley College. I get to walk around. And I can't believe it. I'm still in shock because you figure I was 18 at the time. No one in my family, per se, had ever gotten an athletic scholarship. And here was, I was at the college level, now potentially getting ready to pursue my dream of playing football. Because you all get that speech, last game. Well, guys, enjoy this. This may be some of y'all's last football game you'll ever play. So I'm like, okay. So I'm taking it all in. I get there. I accept. Fall 1996, I show up. But I wasn't able to play that year. Why? Because in high school... It wasn't about grades. It was about being eligible to play. Well, in order to be eligible to play, there's a couple of things you have to do. You have to score a, a minimum score on an ACT or mm -hmm. SAT. Being the top half of your graduating class or have an overall GPA of, I want to say, 2.8. I had one of those. I had the GPA. After taking the ACT multiple times, I didn't get the required score. I wasn't in the top half. So then you hear about this thing, red shirt, red shirt freshman. Well, what is that? Well, I'll explain that to you. Red shirt freshman is when you come to school, whatever sport that is you're playing, you get to work out with the team. You still get school paid for. You just can't officially play that year until you prove to them that you can meet the academic requirements. So after, see the first semester, I met the academic requirements, but I didn't meet the academic requirements. My freshman year in college, after never being sick, never having anything worse than a common cold, I was diagnosed with a rare kidney disease two months into my freshman year of college. I had to get up every morning, work out with the team, exercise and lift. And I feel, I feel this tightness, but I feel it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know that pump that you have after you lift? Mm -hmm. Well, I had that all the time. And I felt like I had to use the bathroom more frequent than normal. So I told my mom, I said, hey, mom, you know, something's not right here. I came home that weekend. And you, we know what edema is, right? Mm -hmm. You could squeeze my leg. And it was like squeezing into a, a, th a thing of dough. It went in probably half an inch deep. 
That's how much fluid buildup I had on my body. So it wasn't that I was getting buff. Yeah. It was all fluid. Yeah. So let's say school started in August. This was around October. Long enough to finish one full semester. So October, November timeframe. And that's when they diagnosed me with, they called it minimal change disease, or the technical term is nephrotic syndrome. It's where I, I was spewing protein. I wasn't keeping it. I was keeping the fluid, but spewing out everything else. The fluid wasn't being relieved from my kidneys. So I went from a 19-year-old at this time, freshman, sky's the limit, right? I'm getting ready to play football in college, and I get diagnosed with a kidney disease, and I can't go back to school. Not only can I not go back to school, I can only drink three eight-ounce cups of liquid a day, preferably water. I was bedridden because of which your kidneys affect, affect a lot of things. I didn't know mm -hmm. this, but they really do. Um, so I was low on potassium. Since my kidneys weren't working right, it affected my cholesterol. So my cholesterol was like 980. So the reason I was bedridden Damn. is because I could have had a heart attack or a stroke just walking. I was on a no-sodium diet. I went from 185 to 280. I was 185 when I started at Missouri Valley in August. And by January, I was 280 pounds. I was on every medication known to man. Fluorosamide, which I believe is the water pill. Fluorosamide, yeah. Um, I was on a cholesterol pill. I was on a pill to combat the effects of this pill. I was on four or five medications and because of my potassium, I would get, I would Cramps. dry heave and I would mm -hmm. cramp and my hands would lock up mm -hmm. and you talk about depressed, man. I was, my mom was retired uh, at the time. So she was able to take care of me for the most part. Well, who wants their mom taking care of me? You're 19 years old. Yeah. No, you should be out in college playing football. Exactly. So going from, and I didn't understand the seriousness of it until my mom took me to one of the appointments that I had. And the nurse said to me, when she came back in the room, she said, you're a very sick young man. And I didn't know what she meant, you know. My mom did. And I was on the verge of dialysis at 19. But with the medications... And uh, my doctor, Max Glazier, my nephrologist, awesome guy, going to see him in his direction, I was able to get better. And I didn't know this, but some colleges have what they call a Jan term. Now, mind you, I'm keeping in touch with my coach, Coach Dan Stanley, this entire time. Coach, you know, I'm not sure when I'll be able to come back, but I want to come back. He's like, okay, you know, we'll even keep your room for you. We'll just withdraw you from all your classes. But you're still a student, but really not a student. Yeah. So January comes around. I'm like, Mom, I want to go back to school. We go see Dr. Glazier. He's like, okay, you can go back to school, but don't overdo it. 
So January term is like a summer school class that you take. And I believe I took, I don't know, I'm not sure, maybe six credits, two classes, maybe three. And I can remember being in class and I'm writing and my hand would just lock up like this and I would have to pry it. I, I made it through that. Prior to leaving school, I didn't have a roommate. I lived in a fraternity house, Sigma Nu. So my coach calls me. He's like, hey, we got a JUCO transfer coming in. You're going to have a roommate. Okay? Excuse me. So I have a roommate now, great guy from uh, Newport News, Virginia. His name is Jerry Davis. Taught me a lot. So I made it through that. This is where it gets interesting. In order to be eligible to play football the following year, I had to get 21 credit hours. I had from January to August to get 21 credit hours. I took 18, no, 16 credit hours during the semester. And I took one summer school class. No, two, because I wanted to be sure. It was a writing class. I had to read two books and write a paper over each book. 97 comes around. Your boy still, I don't know, 265. Now I'm a running back. No, you're but an I offensive look, lineman now. <laughs> but I look like a lineman. <laughs> or, or should I say a nose tackle or nose guard or maybe even a center at my height. So I get back to school and it's like, wow, I made it, you know. I didn't recognize myself. No one recognized me Stay because of the weight. Um, so that was the first two years or shall I say the first full year of my college experience. So that's why I say I'm a fighter because I've always had to overcome something. Uh, I'm going to tell this story. It happened my junior year. It's my junior year in college. At this point, I've got uh, two years of football under my belt. Two-a-days in the heat. Uh, conference champ, wheat bowl game, got to play in the wheat bowl. Um, so I come back to school and I'm spending the night with a friend, actually off campus. Nothing's happening really, you know, I just spent the night over there. It's good to get away from campus life, you know, everybody's in your business. So I spend the night with her. The next day I'm in class, I believe it's biology. I'm in biology class. I get pulled out. Why am I getting pulled out of biology class? The dean of students knew my struggle from being sick and coming back. So she kind of took a liking to me. And she's like, well, Roosevelt, we have some serious accusations about you. I'm like, what accusations? Well, we were told by a young lady that sometime throughout the night, last night, you broke into her dorm room and tried to attack her. And her and her father and her family are pressing charges. Now imagine this woman was Caucasian. We know I'm an African-American male. I'm in a small town college. I've never been in trouble a day in my life. And this is a pretty serious accusation. 
her mother and father is some big wigs up in St. Louis somewhere. And you're pulling me out of class. So now I've got another battle to face, another journey. So she said, you might want to call your mom and see what about getting a lawyer or someone coming down here. We'll let you know as the process goes further. I said, okay. So I called my mom. The next day, mom wasn't able to make it, but my sister and brother came down. And they put me and the young lady that I spent the night with in two separate rooms. So they had me write what happened. And they had her write what happened. A couple of days go by. Nothing comes of it. I'm at football practice or I'm going to the locker room and a buddy of mine that was a JUCO transfer is now playing for Missouri Valley also. He's like, hey, Roosevelt, man, I heard some things about you. I'm like, man, you know me. We went through high school together. He said, you know, that's not true. He's like, I know, but watch out because her boyfriend plays soccer. So just watch out. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm not worried about it. Go to practice. Mysteriously, after the whistle, we're practicing for the upcoming game. My ankle, smash, boom. So now I'm done. Can't play anymore that year. I'm done. So my mom is worrying about my safety. So she writes to school. She's like, hey, why is my son? And I, I forgot to tell you this part. We were in the same class. I was in the same class with this young lady. Well, since she was frightened of me, instead of kicking me out of the school, they kicked me out of the class. So now I go to night class. I think it was biology. So now I'm going to class at night, Tuesdays and Thursdays. So my mom had an issue with that. Well, they changed the lighting system. I'm at home one weekend, a month goes by. No charges are pressed. I don't go back in. I don't get an apology. Nothing. They catch the guy while I'm at home one weekend with my mom. They catch the guy. He's from Florida. The only thing we have in common is we're both African-American. He got busted. <laughs> but when you make that kind of an accusation, people still have opinions. Oh, yeah. And they're still going to look at you different and treat you a certain way. So although I enjoyed my time at Missouri Valley and I learned a lot, I got a degree, I majored in psychology, which that's, that's, a, that's a battle also. I started with education. Testing was a big deal for me, like I said, the ACT. So when you major in education, you have to take a, it's almost like a standardized test before you can teach kids, they have to know that you can, you know this information yourself. Well, after two or three tries and not making a minimal score, I just changed my major to psychology. So that is my college experience. So going from there, what made you want to get on the fire department? Oh, well, that's an awesome story. So check this out. I was six years old. And I remember Miss Hamilton was my teacher. And the fire truck came. I think they were they were fluorescent green back then. Yes, they yeah, were. Yeah, they would have been. Yes, they yeah. were. <laughs> they were fluorescent green, right? Yeah. yeah. So the guys come and we're all on the sidewalk and they put all the gear on. Excuse me. 
And I tell you, there was a lot of screaming and crying. <laughs> so guess what happened? Yeah. They hauled us back into the school. But that always stuck in my mind. I was really intrigued and excited. There's been two things I've been excited about for as long as I can remember. The military and the fire department. Right? Yeah. So my mom, her, not her, her second oldest sister or third or fourth oldest sister, my aunt lived with us for a short time. Well, my aunt had diabetes. And one particular night, I'm going to have to say, I, was, I, was, I know I was in high school, maybe a freshman or a sophomore, and she went into a diabetic coma. And so I grew up midtown of the city I was raised in, and the fire department came. And to see them kick in and not really take charge, but just jump right in there and get to work on my aunt. I was like, wow, this is awesome. I, I think I want to do this someday. Now let's fast forward. I went to college with an individual whose dad was a chief. I graduated college. I got a job as a youth counselor not too far from Marshall, where I went to college. But I was still working as a personal trainer at the local YMCA. This individual's like, hey, man, my dad said they're hiring. You want to go apply with me? I'm like, apply? Yeah, sure. Let's do this. You know, I still had a Kansas City address. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> it was still on my license. Let's put it that way. So I go, oh, boy. So Sorry, I just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I tried. I tried, guys. Tried. Maybe somebody can figure out how to edit things. We can go beep. Yeah. So probably not going to happen. What happened? I go home, I sign, I sign up, I take the test, everything's good, right? At the time, I'm real active in the church that I go to. And I had dated a young lady, things didn't work out. So now I'm excited. I'm like, wow, you know, I'm getting ready to go back home. I know I passed the test, but I'm not getting any calls. So I called my sister, said, hey, have I received a letter from the fire department? She's like, no, I don't, I don't see any mail. They may have called, but I don't have an answer machine. I wouldn't know. I'm like, dang, okay. So now I have a letter, and it's saying, hey, you're number 26 on the list. I'm like, wow, well, I guess I won't be in this academy class. Fast forward two weeks. <laughs> little did you know. <laughs> little did I know. Fast forward two weeks. Now I'm dating another young lady, but I'm not really dating her. Because I don't really want to get involved because I have high hopes of leaving this small town and pursuing what I want to do, which is be a fireman. Man, I get a call from the chief. He's like, Rosie, do you want this job? I'm like, yeah, chief, I want this job. They've been trying to call you for three days. You need to be at this location on this date. Done. Consider it done. I leave, I let, my, I'm like, I let my job know, hey, here's my two weeks, I've got to go, uh, went back home, started what they had, the little orientation downtown, then I started the academy, now mind you, I'm still kind of talking to the young lady that I didn't really want to get involved with, because I knew I was coming back to the city, 
things happen. That young lady, mind you, is now my wife. It'll be 18 years in January, just so you know. <laughs> so uh, we get married, me and that young lady. I graduate the, the academy. Two months later, I'm married. Six months later, I have to resign from my job. Again, the battle is on, right? The struggle is, the battle comes back. It's like, okay, well, hey. I look back at my past. God helped me get through all of those issues. Now I'm here. The same guy, yesterday, today, and forevermore. So I'm going to keep it moving. So what happened was, I had to resign. I found the earliest EMT class because that's why I had to leave. Uh, I didn't. It was a national registry national test. Registry test. Yeah. I Which did, that test is designed test. to fail. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's a money grab is what it is. Yeah. And what I've learned now is earlier in my life, I kind of, I put this label on myself actually of having issues with tests. Because it's all about your perspective. I could have said, well, I just need to study more, and I'll eventually pass. But I, I developed this phobia. So it was almost, I was like almost defeating myself before I even started. Yeah, dude, and we've talked about that so much, about <sighs> perspective and how important it is. Because it doesn't really matter what you're going through. It, what matters is your perspective of what you're going through. If you look at it as a challenge and an opportunity to better yourself then you're going to be okay. But if you look at it as this is the worst thing in the world, it's beating me down, then guess what? That's your mindset. You're going to get beat down. Exactly. And you said it, your mindset. It's, it's amazing how, you know, they say, well, the cup is half empty. Well, I see the cup is half full. It's perspective. And based off what your perspective is, that's how the outcome is going to be. And that's, and that's your life. So now I don't put that stigma on myself. Although I've had to test multiple times, in my life, I no longer put that stigma on me. It's just going to take me longer than the average person. I learn differently. So I'm a newlywed per se. I no longer have a career. My wife is a nurse. She's the breadwinner. So in my mind, growing up the way I grew up, if you're not working, your woman's not going to stick around much longer. I grew up knowing that a man provides. Although my mom took care of me, I could see other people and their dynamics of their home. I mean, let's go to TV. You know, you watch TV, the man works, the man provides, leave it to Beaver. You know, Ward went to work. His wife stayed home, he provided. So in my culture, in my upbringing, if you were a man and you didn't have a job, you were a deadbeat. So unconsciously, I'm thinking, okay, now I no longer have a career. My wife's going to leave me. That wasn't the case. Like I said, it would be 18 years here pretty soon. But that was my mindset. That was my psyche. It's kind of gone. These new, I don't, I don't know what's going on with this young generation, but I guess sometime, I guess in some <laughs> way it became cool to have your woman take care of you and you just sit in the passenger seat while she's pumping gas. But that's a whole nother topic. 
So well, the whole gas yeah. thing I get. Yeah, well, dude. I pump my gas. Equality, man. It's all about quality. <laughs> you want gas? It's your car. You got two legs, two arms. Start pumping. Yes. You sound like my brother-in-law. <laughs> you guys will get along great. I'll, I'll open a door. I'll pump your gas. I don't care. Doesn't bother me. Don't bitch at me when I do something. I'll try don't, not to. Don't, don't preach equality and then you want me to do everything for you. It's not equality. Well, well, actually, or you want more than me, than I have. That's not equality. You want equality? I'll give it to you, but you're not going to like it. Sign up for the draft, just like I do. <laughs> Way to go, Rosie. You put Boom. it on a soapbox. I, 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 yeah, how do you like that one? <laughs> That's not what I was trying to do, but uh, I appreciate that perspective. I, I truly do. Uh, but that was my concern at the time. Right. It, well, it is a valid concern. I mean, I was raised the same way. Yeah. I mean, dad goes to work. Mom, you know, my mom stayed home for a long time. I mean, I think she got a job whenever I was in high school, but me and my sister were older, so and she wanted something to do. Not right. Stay at home, you know, because I grew up out in the fucking sticks, you know. So it was just her he, he, and the by dogs. Sticks, he means the swamp. The swamp. The swamp. Yeah. Well, there's a few See, states that has swamps. Well, Louisiana. That's where I grew up. Louisiana. Louisiana. <laughs> Louisiana. Louisiana. See, both of my parents worked. Yeah. My my entire life, but mom still did most of the the you know if you go by gender role, she did the cooking and most of the cleaning and laundry. Dad helped clean on the weekends. But during yeah. the week, it was sports. They were running two kids all over the city. And that was when we lived in Illinois. Yeah. It's a little bigger of a city. You know, that's weird. That's it's kind of uh, interesting because you have different dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. So you guys grew up with both your mom and your dad in the same home. Yeah. That was, that was not the norm. That was very uncommon. So I saw my mom do all the working, do all the cooking, do all the cleaning, do all the yard work until I got older and I could do the yard work. So it's just, it's different perspectives. And when me and my wife first got married, I I wasn't that, you got to stay home. I'm going to work. You can't work. You're going to raise the kids. That wasn't the norm in my era of growing up. By the time I, I'll say 23, 24, you know, it takes two incomes Mm -hmm. to have a functional family. Anymore, it absolutely does. Almost takes three. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I work overtime all the time. Three. So... By me losing my job, it wasn't, I just felt like I wasn't doing my part to take care of my wife. And so I had a part-time job when I was a fireman that now has become my full-time job while I go to empty school two nights a week. So I go to empty school, I'm back on the fire department, maybe a year later from the time I had to resign. And not even a year later, maybe nine months later. And earlier I told you about the military. Well, that was still a hunger inside of me. I had tried after college. That's another journey. So when I was diagnosed with the kidney disease, that's in my medical history. So when you go to MEPS, Mm-hmm. Medical entrance entrance processing center, right? Yep. Processing station. They ask you a lot of questions, and I was honest about these questions. All four times that they asked them, and so the first time they denied me, the Army National Guard denied me. My buddy was like, "Hey, 
You're not married. You don't have any kids. You're pretty fit. How about you go active? And I'm like, yeah. Like He hit me with this, and he's like, you can go airborne. <laughs> <laughs> he hit me with that one, right? I'm going to go jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Yeah. yeah. Nope. I'm like, awesome. I said, you can pick your job. You can pick any skill. You can travel the world. I said, now, are we waiting on? He's like, oh, don't worry about it. You just go to the active duty recruiter. They get their waivers back a lot faster than the Army National Guard does. All right, let's make it happen. Yeah, he was right. Within two weeks, I got the denial from the active duty Army. (laughs) And then maybe a month later, I got the denial from the Army National Guard. Deny me. That's twice, right? Fast forward. I'm married now. Babe, you know, I don't have my job anymore. How do you feel about being an army wife? Okay, you know, her dad was in the Army National Guard for 23 years. Her stepdad was a SEAL for 10 years. So she knows a little bit about the military life, right? Hmm. Cool, no problem. I apply again. They deny me. Now I'm getting ticked off because you're denying me, right? Now, I'm being honest. I have a clean bill of health. I no longer have minimal change in nephrotic syndrome. The doctor signed off on it. So now I'm taking it personal. Like, you guys are denying me, and I'm being honest. So I called my councilman, Councilman Sam Graves. He said, sir, there's nothing I can do. They're within their rights to deny you. You did have this condition. I can respect that. Okay, so that's number three. Two years later, the itch is still there. I'm on the fire department now. Now I'm a dad. My baby girl was born 2005, May. I'm sorry. 2006, May. And I'm still thinking about it. My wife's like, okay, you can try again if you want. I try again. I try again April 2007. Guess what happens? I'm in April 2007, right? After five tries, took the ASVAB three times. The doctors almost knew me by name at the MEP station. (laughs) I didn't have to write a letter. I didn't have to contact my congressman. I just had to go to a doctor of their choice. Once I was cleared, I'm in. So now I'm in the Army National Guard, right? Awesome. But I picked the job that came with the bonus. I didn't know (laughs) that there was a reason. The recruiter lied to you too. (laughs) The bonus was big because the the severity of the job. So that was an 88 Mike truck driver. Yeah. You mean IED finder? Yes. (laughs) Big, 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 big moving target. Big, big, boom. Slow, 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 big, 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 slow, big, big target. But it was a big bonus. Did I say that there was a big bonus? Yes. You said that. Yeah, it was a big bonus. And the school was real short. It was like eight or nine weeks in addition to basic training, which was like 10 weeks. So my baby is one. She turned one that May. And... I'm getting ready to leave for basic training. 
Now, my buddy, who's the recruiter, he's telling me, hey. He's not your buddy. He's not your buddy. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, actually. Your buddy would have lied to you. Yeah. He, he, he told me. He said, Rose, you can pick whatever you want to pick. He said, but just know it's not a matter of if, but when you go downrange. Downrange means Iraq, Afghanistan. Well, yeah, that a, was you joined right about the time of the surge, too. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so I leave my house for basic training August 2007. I come back to my house December 2007. I leave my house again February 2008. I don't come back home until April 2009. There was a break there where I was home for a couple of weeks. So that was deployment number one. I've got a two-year-old now. She's now two. And when she would look at me in the Skype, because that's the only way I had to communicate when I was deployed the first time, she thought I was in the computer. <laughs> and she would say, my wife would be like, who are you? Who are you? And she's like, daddy's number one fan. Daddy's number <laughs> one fan. Uh. But yeah, that was that was a so now I'm in the army. I'm on the fire department. I've got the best of both worlds. Everything is great, right? Yes, it appeared to be that way. What I didn't know was whether you're in a combat zone or not, that much time away from your wife and your kids and being in that kind of environment. There's a stress load that everybody can't bear. And the way to, they say, exercise, and I found this out from a general, the reason they encourage exercising and working out is because when you build your physical body, you can handle more stress. Yeah, what? By exercising, you're releasing a bunch of chemicals in your brain that helps combat that mental stress. Exactly. Exactly. That you're feeling. Yeah. That's why, I mean, a lot of therapists, I mean, especially that deal with our population, stress, exercise so much is because it really is very helpful. It, It really is. It's like it's a super stress reliever. It's almost like it became an addiction for me. Whenever I deploy, it became an addiction because it kept my mind off of my wife and my baby. My my daughter only had one at the time. It took my mind off of them, but it kept me focused. It, it, uh, It kept me motivated. I was able to just stay focused on me and the mission and better myself physically so that I would be in better shape and then able to exercise and work and do the things with my little girl that I wanted to do. And when I came home, I did those things, you know, I played, I enjoyed her, me and my wife were doing great. Uh, Everything was good at that time. It still is. But I mean, but you have what I like to call storms or valleys or pits, low points in life. And Exercising over there transitioned to home, which allowed me to endure those low times a lot easier than I would if I wasn't in good physical shape. 
Because when I'm in not, when, let me speak for myself. When I'm not in physical shape, I kind of look at myself, I get down, I'm kind of like, man, I'm just, I'm just letting myself go, you know what I mean? Because I came from that athletic background, and mm-hmm. I've always taken pride in that. So to not continue to do that, I feel like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm letting myself down. So now I'm, I'm back from my first deployment. It's 2009. I get a phone call. I forgot to explain the rank structure, but since I have a college degree, I had two options. I can go in as an officer or I can go in enlisted and come in as a specialist instead of an E2, okay, which is a pay grade rank. Mm -hmm. I chose the E4 route. One, I didn't score high enough on the ASVAB. We're back to the test. Yeah, I had to get a GT of 110. That's a score that you have to get in order to become an officer. And I knew I didn't get that. So I went the NCO route or the enlisted route. And so I get a call. Hey, uh, Specialist Hampton, would you like to be a sergeant in this unit? Really? Yeah. Awesome. So now I'm officially an NCO. I'm an E5 sergeant in the Army National Guard. I go to a transportation unit. My brother-in-law at the time was also in that unit with me. He's since gone active. But I'm in that unit, so this is 2009. I drill, I'm on the fire department. Um, everything is great. Me and my wife's relationship is great. We've gone to a couple of marriage seminars. Strong bonds retreats is what they call them. But they do this thing called yellow ribbon. Yellow ribbon is to help you and your family get integrated back to one another after you've been gone on a deployment. So we go through all of that. Everything went great. I'm in my new unit. I show up first time September 2009. September 2009. We had a PT test in October because October is the beginning of the new physical year. Have a PT test. Do well on the PT test. Mind you, I'm an E5. They have NCO schools that you have to go to in order to be eligible for the next promotion. On my first appointment, I went to one of these schools. That's why I was able to get my E5. Take the PT test. A month or two later, hey, Sergeant Hampton, would you like to go to BNOC phase two? Yeah, sure. Okay, you need to be in Ashland, Nebraska on this date. Sure, no problem. I go to Ashland, Nebraska, 2009, come back the next year. Hey, Sergeant Hampton, would you like to go to BNOC phase three and four? Where is this? Newport News, Virginia. I'm sorry. uh, I can't remember where it was in Virginia. Yeah, Newport News, Virginia. Sure, I'll go. So I'm going to all these military schools, volunteering. Nothing about it was mandatory. And I'm leaving my wife and my baby. And it was like, now that I think about it in that time, I was so caught up in serving that I kind of neglected home. I never really, I don't think I ever really transitioned all the way back into civilian life because I felt really comfortable in the uniform and going to all these different schools. So whenever one came about, 
I was all over it. Now we're 2010. If you know anything about the Army National Guard, you deploy every couple of years. So I have to go to California, two weeks of training. I get back from California. 2011 comes around. You guys are going to, at first it was Kuwait. Okay, not a problem. Then it changed to Afghanistan. Now there's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) And, And the only reason I say that is because Kuwait really, really wasn't hostile at that time. I mean, they were still building, but it wasn't hostile as much. Afghanistan was a hot spot. Yeah. Uh, 2011, 2010, for that matter. And so my wife and I'm like, oh, man, okay. So now you're really thinking because my first deployment was more of a peacekeeping. Afghanistan's a whole nother demon. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. Well, I write the letter. If you guys don't know what the letter is, the letter is the letter to your wife or your spouse or your loved one. If I don't come home, this is how I feel about you. And these are my wishes as well as your will and testament and all of these other things. (laughs) So I deploy. Within my first month of being in our range, First, my, I experienced my first explosion, my first bomb. Not to mention the Afghanistan heat. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about that, but this is July in the Middle East. Just let your creativity go about itself. So I'm in Afghanistan. Boom. Things happen. People get injured. Uh, At the time, because of my rank, I'm a sergeant. I'm not driving. I'm a TC, which is the truck commander. So I had my specific truck, and we did security for convoys in and out of Afghanistan. That was my job. So after multiple explosions, multiple gunfire, things that you experience in war situation, I'm almost home. Right. I'm almost home. I've done my year just about. I'm almost home. And I get a red cross. I get a call from my wife. Honey, you were a good son. You are a good son. Okay. Uh, <laughs> why are you telling me I was a good son? Roosevelt passed. No, Roosevelt is talking to you on the phone. No, baby. Your dad passed away. What? Okay. So I go to the talk tactical operations center. I said, Hey, I just found out from my wife. My dad passed away. They're like, yeah, we just got the red cross. We were going to send someone over. Do you want to go? Now I'm contemplating this, believe it or not. Do I want to leave this environment? To go back home and bury my dad, knowing I have to come back to this environment. And do I want to deal with the the emotions and everything that comes with burying your father? Me and my dad weren't close. We weren't enemies, but we weren't close. 
I know now my wife, my dad kept his distance from me and my wife because my dad was born and raised in Mississippi. My wife is Caucasian female. He could never, he was never mean. He never said anything bad. He just stayed away. Now I found this out after he passed. So there was not real a lot of closeness there as much as I tried. So I'm dealing with that now. I fly home, C-130. I get home. The fire department, believe it or not, is who contacted my mom because they knew my dad. They knew my name, and they knew my name was Roosevelt Hampton. They put two and two together. Hey, I think his son's on the fire department. Let's contact his captain. And so that's how my mom and that's how they found out about it and uh, told my wife. And so that's ultimately how I found out. So thank God for the fire department. But uh, I get home and bury my dad. They don't send me back. They don't send me back, which was a good thing. I was forward support. They let me go back to our mobbing station and prep for my unit to return, which they were a month out. No, two weeks. They were two weeks out. So we get back. I get back. I've dealt with, I'm dealing with the experiences of being downrange in the combat situation. I'm dealing with the loss of my dad. And I'm dealing with, you know what, I got back and I realized, man, civilian life, there's some, some ungrateful so-and-sos out here, you know? <laughs> It, oh, do tell. <laughs> it made me cringe for someone to say, man, it's hot. Um, do you know that it's 115, 120 by noon in the Middle East? Do you know it's like the laying a tent, no AC, no air, and you're just sweating your life away? <laughs> hey, you signed up for it. I sure did. I remember when he came back. From, from <laughs> Afghanistan. He's wearing a sweatshirt in the summertime. Like, what are you doing? I'm cold. I get it. You know, it's, you know what's funny? Is when you're over there and you see the women and the men in these long robes is what I call them. Like, why are you, aren't you hot? When your skin is covered, believe it or not, and you sweat, you, you're, you get kind of cool. It's kind of like a cooling mechanism mm -hmm. versus having your clothes off per se and now your skin is exposed to the direct heat that's yeah. why you'll see people who are gar like gardeners and mowers they wear yeah. long sleeves with that sweat right and they stay cool all day and the well, heat is not hitting their skin directly yeah it works better in a really dry climate yeah like, you're not going to see that in you know southeast asia or louisiana for that matter oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so you know you know oh, what yeah. i'm talking about yeah it's a different kind of heat, but it's still yeah. yeah. I mean, heat is heat, and I thought I thought everybody else was jacked up, you know. I thought civilians didn't appreciate their freedoms, different things like that, because I was dealing with some things inside myself. And then me and my wife start having some issues. She brought to my attention, "Hey, babe, do you know?" Now, mind you, I was never really a drinker before. She said, honey, you know you drink every night? Really? No, I don't. She's like, yeah, you do. I didn't sleep anymore. So I would drink every night 
that I wasn't working to go until I fell asleep or passed out. And then I'd get up and come to bed. Now I wasn't belligerent and acting a fool. It was just me in my house by myself with my wife and my daughter. Well, actually, my wife is pregnant about this time with my second. And so uh, she said, you might want to stop drinking so much. I don't, I, don't, I don't like that. I said, okay, not a problem. So I stopped drinking. And one particular evening, my wife was at work, and it was me and my oldest, and the baby now, and I scared myself, because my oldest, I let her watch TV or do something, excuse me, no, it was, I told her it was bath time. And she didn't want to listen. And I just, I flipped like a switch flipped because I told her to do something and she didn't want to do it. And she gave me a hard time. That was never me. And I didn't spank her or put my hands on her or anything like that. But that emotion that I felt behind her not doing what I told her to do kind of freaked me out a little bit. And my wife saw that. So the next day she says, honey, you scared me last night. What's going on? And I'm like, nothing. I'm fine. You know, she didn't do what I told her to do. And so that's normal. You get upset when your kids don't do what you tell them to do. Well, that was like from zero to maybe five upset on the level in which she wasn't doing things she was supposed to do. I went to 100. And like I said, that's not me. So that's when I went to the VA and got signed up. I was on my way to another military school because I found that if I stay locked in. Stay busy. I don't think stay about Stay busy, man. I'm not in the fire department. I'm on, I mean, I'm on the fire department. I'm not at the fire department. I'm driving trucks. I'm not driving trucks from a civilian part-time job. I'm in my uniform serving one week in a month, two week a year, in theory, mind you. And I'm going to with any school they'll send me to. You got aerosol school? Send me to aerosol school. Went to aerosol school twice. Uh, Ammo 62 course? Send me to that. Went to that every year. Ferguson? Now, that wasn't choice. That was state emergency. But I did that also. So I found as long as I keep busy, I'm good. Then I get a phone call. Now, mind you, I'm dealing with all this in the... VA prescribed me some, some meds to help me sleep, some things like that to help with my anxiety. My nephew died in a, suddenly in a fatal car accident. Now I'm dealing with that. And I forgot to tell you, the next trauma after my dad passing away in 2012, my baby coded. And we couldn't hold or touch her because she was in the NICU for the first month and a half of her life. No. 28 days, something like that. It was like 21 days. We brought her home. She stopped breathing. She was in for another four or five days. So now I'm dealing with that trauma of losing my baby. Then the next year, I lose my nephew. And I'm still coping with 
come to terms that, hey, guy, you may have PTSD and you don't even know it. Because I'm thinking everybody else is screwed up, right? But it's me that's the one that has the issue. So I make it through that counseling, couples counseling through the VA for me and my wife both. Individual counseling through the VA. Uh, we go to an outside uh, Christian-based counseling, me and my wife, because everything is a, is a battle. You know what I mean? I feel like everything is a battle. Everything is coming at me, and I'm not sure how to deal with it. But when I put the uniform on, and now I'm Staff Sergeant Hampton, I feel like as though I'm in my element. When I'm in the fire department uniform, and I'm serving others and doing things that way, I'm in my element. But just being home to relax with your kids, I couldn't do that. I mean, it's crazy. Like, I couldn't allow myself to relax enough to absorb a hug from either one, my, either one of my daughters or my wife. To just truly let your guard down and embrace a hug. Well, you're primed. I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't sleep. My sleep schedule's still kind of off. But um, so open and honest and transparent. Uh, there was times where I would just go in my vehicle and contemplate. I think my wife and kids would be better off without me. If I just drive my car, my truck at the time, into this wall or off, off this ditch or off this bridge, they would get my life insurance. They'd be better off. And I thought this. I can remember one particular night, my oldest did something, and I went from zero to 100 again. Didn't put my hands on or anything like that, but my voice escalated. And it scared her, and it scared me. My wife come home. She says, are you okay? I say, yeah, I'm fine. She said, are you thinking about doing something to yourself? I said, not right now. I never said I wasn't thinking about doing anything to myself. I just said, not right now. So that was kind of my never being that way before. That was kind of my introduction to, wow, man, like, I really think I'd be better off without them. If I wasn't here, I wouldn't be raising my voice at anybody. I wouldn't be causing anybody pain. Me and my wife wouldn't be getting into it. My daughters wouldn't be crying because daddy and mommy are getting into it. None of that would take place. So it wasn't until, wow. I'm not even sure what the breakthrough was. But something, a, a switch flipped. I know what it was. I started seeing a different psychologist. Psych psychologist? Whoever prescribes the medications. Yeah. The psychiatrist, I believe. Yeah. Psychiatrist. I think the psychiatrist. Yeah. And just talking with him frequently, you know, every week if I had to, just getting things off my chest. And then my wife also doing her due diligence to understand, okay, he's this way, 
and you can't approach him like you would say the normie who hasn't had the experiences that he's had. You don't stop him when he's trying to leave. You let him leave and do what he has to do. You don't try to block him or barricade him in. Just different things, triggers, time. I'm, I have this thing about time. It drives me crazy not to be on time. <laughs> because in the military, time yeah. is life and death. Yeah, Can be. You know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. And they, they teach you that from basic training. Hey, on time is late and late is on time. If formation's at 0700 and you're there at 0700, you're late because you should have been here at 0645. So there was things she had to learn. And as we get older, counseling, understanding more about ourselves, uh, as, as far as me digging into my word more, spending more time with God and praying and reading and allowing him to, I say, heal what was broke. Uh, that's kind of where I am today with it all. And I see... I've seen my brothers as early as last year commit suicide that I serve with. Uh, so it, it's a serious situation. And what I've observed about uh, soldiers, whether it's Marines, any of the branches of service, when you serve and you come home, you feel detached. You feel like no one understands. And from a National Guard standpoint, when you're active duty, you deploy as a unit, right? Mm -hmm. And you're probably on the same post or base and the wives support each other. And you guys come back together, excuse me, and you have each other. In the Army National Guard, this is Missouri. You got people as far as Joplin, St. Louis, Kansas City, all over the state. So you see them one week in a month. But during the rest of that month, they're doing their jobs, they're doing their careers. And you, there's nobody that you can talk to. Your mom don't understand. Your wife doesn't understand. Your kids don't understand. The only people that understand are your brothers. And they're secretly dealing with their own stuff too. And you don't want to bring it up because you don't want to trigger them. Yeah. So you just kind of block it out. Yeah, dude. And that's the, the trap. And we've kind of talked about that. You know, and I've had conversations with friends of mine that, you know, have been overseas it's a thing of it the the common theme seems to be guys are like well i'm having this problem but nobody else is you know so something's wrong with me or whatever but everybody's having the same problem right you know if, if just open your mouth and talk about it you know talk to somebody you know like you said pick up your phone and call a brother hey i'm struggling Oh, no shit. Me too. You know? Yeah. Like, I mean, when you know him, but you don't, uh, got a buddy of mine, Bart, that we had on the show. He was an SF guy. And we we're talking about, you know, his old team and all of this stuff. He's like, dude, every one of them, me include, you know, him included, all have terrible issues. All but one guy. And he said, well, he was a crappy SF guy anyway, but, you know. <laughs> So, you know, it's kind of a joke, but it's like, yeah, you can't go over there and do what you guys did and see what you guys saw. War is going to touch you. If you touch war, it will touch you back. And you have to, you know, put into place those processes 
to allow yourself the time to heal from that because you're not going to come back and you're not going to be the same. Right. You're going to be different, but you could be different better. Right. And that's why we talk about, and we've started to talk about it more, is the post-traumatic growth. Because, dude, I mean, everybody wants to... stigma on that, man. Dude, everybody wants to talk about, oh, PTSD or PTS and this. Yes, okay. We know. But guess what? You can have PTSD. You can get better. You can grow from that. And then, you know, if you choose to, you can help other people. Right. So, I mean, that's the thing that really, I think, with the whole conversation about mental health and all of that stuff, that is the part that we do not talk about enough is the growth part. Because you don't have to stay in the depression. You don't have to stay in the PTS. You don't have to stay in the PTSD. You can grow. Yeah. I think it's, um, there was a stigma, PTSD. There's a lot of people that have PTSD and just don't know they have it. But it's if you have a broken arm, I can see you have a broken arm. Mm-hmm. But I can't see you have PTSD. So I see, oh, man, you're a normal guy. There's nothing wrong with you. You're good. But you don't know what I'm dealing with on the inside daily because of the things I've seen or possibly the things that I've done. What I've learned is... I may have PTSD, but PTSD doesn't have me. So I can still function and be productive and enjoy my wife and enjoy my kids. But you have to learn those things over again. So when something foreign comes into your life that you're not used to and you just can't take it out and throw it away, it's there. Now you have to learn how to function with it. Yeah. And that's just a matter of doing it you have to just learn how to function mm-hmm. don't let it debilitate you yeah that's that growth man that's the growth yeah. bro that's the growth and i'm telling you i will tell any and everybody that i've had it i'm not ashamed to say that i have thought about committing suicide a number of times during my battle with it but i've grown past that and if you're like you said just You're not the only one. It's almost like, you know, when I said when I was serving others Mm -hmm. that I felt comfortable, I felt normal. When you internalize everything, it becomes all about you with the whole peach. Oh, woe is me and this, this, that, and the other. I'm struggling. It's when you let it out and let it be exposed to help others, then it, it doesn't have a hold on you anymore. Yeah. Dude, I saw this great thing today, Warrior Poet Society with John Lovell. And I love that dude. He's awesome. Um, But he was talking about how, you know, courage for all of history, courage in every society has been like the thing. That's what everybody aspires for. You know, there was a time where if somebody called you a coward, you'd go out back and you know, shoot each other to death over yeah. it, you know? And now it's about who can be the biggest victim. And you see that with a lot of people that just, they won't get out of their way. That's it, brother. You know, 
take pride in having that courage to overcome. You know, that, yeah. that's what I'm saying. I don't know. I probably said it wrong, but no, no. you know where I was going. Yeah, I know exactly where you were going. I know exactly where you were going. Um, I wish more people would do that. You know, I could I could go somewhere else with this, and I may touch on it a little bit if you guys are all right with it. I don't – I think the victim mentality – is encouraged that's why it's different yeah in, in some walks of life being a victim is kind of encouraged like okay you're, you you went through this we'll show you pity or we'll give you this or handouts no well it's not think, growth no it's not growth and i think the people that do that i don't think it's from a malicious standpoint because they want to help they're you just know, not quite sure how. They don't know how. And it's like, so it's like, you got kids, you got kids. I don't have kids. I have dogs. But I'm going to use a kid analogy here. Okay. So, learning how to tie their shoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> you show them how, and then you let them do it. Well, what people tend to do in the whole victimhood and that conversation that we're having is, they never let them tie their own shoes. They just are constantly, oh, your shoe's untied. Let me tie it for you. Oh, your shoe's untied. Let me tie it for you. No. Let them take some responsibility. Let them succeed on their own at something. Right. And then, you know, slowly in increments. Well, I can see when you, when you put that analogy out there, I can see how in some cases, you know, as a parent, you always want, more for your kids than what you had. Right. And and that's how at least that's how it's been in my case. But there's a fine line there. You can become an enabler. Cause I am who I am today because of the struggles that I've had to overcome. If you have nothing to overcome, because whomever is choosing to enable you, thinking that they're helping you. The minute that person is no longer around in the picture and you face something, now you crumble and you don't know how to make it. And I think that's what is kind of happening in certain aspects of our world today. We are crippling people thinking we're helping them. Yeah. So deal said hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And we're kind of at the weak men create bad times and weak men create bad yeah. times. And we're kind of at that weak men or person. You can change the person if you want be politically yeah. correct. If, but he yeah. talked about that today too. the John level on yeah. warrior poet society. That was the quote that he started off with. Really? It's a hundred percent true. That, that, that really that's is the times. That's right the now. third time that I've heard that in the past week. Yeah. I've seen it on the book of faces, you know, Oh, <sighs> That's a whole other issue, but yeah. it, but right now we're at we've had so many years of good times. You know, people complain about it. Oh, I don't have anything. Nobody, my parents never get me anything, and they complain on their Twitter and their Facebook as they post from their iPhone and their car <laughs> while they're sitting at in front of Starbucks with their computer so they can write something for school that they're in that their parents are paying for with brand new sh- shoes and jeans and shirt. Right, you right. Know, like you have more than most other. You know, there's countries where they don't have. A fraction 
So the, the example that he gave today, whenever, because he did a little video. So he said, just go back in history and look at, you know, the, the kings in England. He goes, they lived in these castles, right? But they still had to worry about where their next meal was coming from. They froze in the winter, baked in the summer, you know, had no medicine, all this stuff. He goes, even the pretty much the poorest people that live in our country today live in luxury compared to the kings of 500 years ago. Or even other people, another, I've had the liberty, you know, serving and going different places. Um, you see kids, like I would see kids, four or five-year-old kids with pushing wheelbarrows down a dirt road with grass or twigs or stuff. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, these little kids are out here getting it. And you asked, I asked my daughter to take out the trash or something. <laughs> Dad, do I have to do it right now kind of thing? She doesn't do that anymore, mind you. But there was a time when that was the response. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then you get upset. You're like, you, you don't understand how good you have it. Yeah. I'm not asking you to build Rome. <laughs> I'm asking you to take out the trash. It's the same thing, Roosevelt. It's the same thing. <laughs> it, it must be, you know? But that's, you know, that's everywhere you look. People complain about how bad they have it. And I'm guil- I'm just as guilty as anybody else about complaining about a little bit of hard times. I've Don't shake your head like you're superior <laughs> over there. You complain more than both of us combined. Which is why you gave me the nickname, which yeah. I re-gifted. No, you don't re-gift it. It's not a wedding so, gift. So let's take Roosevelt's, get Roosevelt's take on it. Can you re-gift a nickname? If it's appropriate. Now, now, listen. I'm going to say yes. You're wrong. My man. But I'm going to explain why. Okay. Okay. A gift is a gift to the recipient to do what? He or she wants to do with it. So if it's not that kind of gift. If he or she (laughs) wants to return a nickname that's suitable for the person that gave it, I think you should be able to do that. No. He is Captain Complaint. Captain Complaint. Yeah, he did that whenever we were working together (laughs) the first time. That's my first time ever hearing that. <laughs> yep. Captain Complaint. Okay. It didn't get outside our station somehow. Well, now we're on. I mean, we're going. That was a long time ago. That was, yeah. Oh. That was probably 13 years ago. Because <laughs> oh. he complained about everything all day. And well, it was tiring. I was a very unhappy person you were, at the time. You know, at the time you were, but you were. Yeah. And I was just getting ready to say that during that time in his life, or let's just put this, put it out there. During any part of your life where you are not happy, you can find anything to complain about. It yeah. almost like supports your unhappiness. It's a confirmation bias, bro. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Well, and it's what we were talking about earlier. It's all about perspective. Because if I would have just shifted my way of looking at things, who knows? But I didn't. So, every single day. And what sucks is it was before text messages blew up, so you get the phone call and complaining and complaining. 
Anyway. Should, what, what's that term? Uh, then we go to the that? bar. That's what we did. Statue then. of Limitations. Yeah. So uh, how, how long ago did he try to re-nickname you? No, it wasn't me. It wasn't you? I, no. I was passing it on to somebody else. Oh. So he yeah. gave me that nickname 13, 14 years ago. And then, what, last week, I gave it to somebody else. Something like that. So I think I will. Yeah. It, yeah. Well no, he passed. earned it. No. Nah, you got to come up with something passed. different, like a different variation. Different. Wow. Variation. It's like, it's like. The, it's such it's, a perfect nickname, though. I know. It's because I came up with it. Set him up for that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, you did. You, yeah, you can't throw a softball, man. I witnessed that. I witnessed this. Yeah. I mean, th- think about the the sports cars in the eighties and early nineties. The Camaro, the uh, Firebird, and the Trans Am, and they were all the exact same. Mm-hmm. With like the headlight was like, oh, I'm gonna put mine here, and just cocked it a little bit. So you got to change that nickname up a little bit. Yeah, but it just rolls right off the tongue. It does. So, is he comparing you to a car? I think he was trying to do roundabout. It's an analogy. It's a thinker. An analogy, it's, yeah. and it, it's not as good as the nickname he came up with. So the he's not so good. Is solid. Yeah. Not everything can be gold, right? Or yeah. platinum, diamond, silver's, whatever. Silver's good. Yeah. Got you some silver. I'll take a silver. I'll take a silver medal on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. That gum is killing me. Yeah, I, I wanted to reach in his mouth <laughs> like last hour and just take it. Who, me? Yeah, you. Oh, really? Why don't you just say something? Because you were enjoying it. I'm not going to take the joy out of your life. Actually, you know, I normally wouldn't have kept it in my mouth this long, but I'm sitting in front of you guys. I'm like, okay, I don't have any paper. He's got a trash can back here. Do I really want to? He's got that. And he, right in there. That, mm-hmm. And I'm gonna do that. <laughs> you know what that reminds me of? See, right I'm gonna, wrap it up. <laughs> so listen, there's a there, I mean, there's like little gaps in the story, so I'm just staring I, at the gum. I've like, got I've got to uh. say this though, right? I have this saying, and I can't take credit from it for it. I heard it years ago, but I've kept it. And the saying is, "Closed mouth won't get fed." You want to know what I mean by that? Thank you for asking. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> You both were irritated with the gum, mm-hmm. but oh, neither one of you bad. said well, I anything. Wasn't, I no, wasn't really irritated. Well, well with just it. hear me out. You yeah. know, I'm going somewhere with my statement. Okay, closed mouth don't get fed. Yeah. The minute he says something, what happened? Oh, I said yeah, yeah, because I could hear it, and then I tossed it right. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. got a point. See, you know, yeah, you know, closed but, mouth don't get yeah. fed. I've also. There's another saying that I like. You have one mouth and two ears. Use them proportionally. Yes. <laughs> yes. Come I here. fail at that all the time. <laughs> I'm right there with you, man. Yeah. I can't even lie to you. And I'm, and I, it's funny. Now, I have, you know, you have, I have kids. I got two girls. And I'm like, babe, be quiet. I say shut up. Only, excuse me, only when it's got to the point where I'm like, you just need to learn to shut up and listen. Be quiet. Just listen before you speak. Yeah. Because a lot of the things you're saying, you would probably get those answers if you would just listen. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a lost skill. Is people will talk, but they're not going, they're not talking 
for you to respond to them. Right. They're just, they're talking because yeah. they're talking. They want you to believe what they say and agree with them, not have your own. Well, and it's not even thought. that. It's just they want to get their point of view across and it doesn't really, they're not going to listen to what you have to say. Yeah. Right. So it's almost like it's, a one way conversation. It is. That's exactly what it is. And that's, I think, you know, going back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier with the kind of the entitlement victim type thing Yeah, is that's another thing that we have kind of lost as a society is just listening to each other, you know, sit down and have an actual conversation where both sides get to talk and you actually listen to what that person is saying and try to understand it. That's what, Wow. It's very interesting you say that because I was just talking to my daughter the other day. I said, honey, don't text your friend. Why don't you just call her and say whatever it is you need to say? No, I'm just going to text. We're in this world where it's, we're we're forgetting how to communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. You can type a text and based off what you think is in that text, you'll feel some kind of way about it. Mm-hmm. But if you're actually talking and you can hear the uh the tone the tone of someone's voice. Yeah. You can see if they're upset, angry, sad, if they're just fine, but you can't with the text. No. Or if they're being sarcastic or joking. Right. Yeah. Right. Cuz how many times text messages get read the wrong way? Yeah. I've got man or social media posts. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever people just take it and apply their own perspective to it. Hello. Per, yep. <laughs> they read it. They read it how they want it to yeah. read. And it could and be I, the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It usually is. Yeah. Usually, got, however you think it's supposed to, you, you want to take it, it's not that way. And I've been guilty. I've been guilty of reading. I can remember, wow, this has been, oh man, I'm kind of telling my age, but I was in college, right? And we had computer lab and we had face, not what was it, uh, uh, MySpace. MySpace yeah. was before Facebook. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. MySpace. So much better. So I had a MySpace <laughs> account, right? I had a girl I was talking to. She lived out of state. Was she your I, top friends? No. No. <laughs> she wasn't that special then. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, can, I can't recall, actually. I was new to it all. But I had just spent the week with her. And she just put like a blanket post. These are things that gentlemen do for women and one of them was like uh you walk on the outside of her you keep her on the inside mm-hmm. different things right yeah she's just sending a random post stating that the things that mm-hmm. a gentleman does for a woman right why did i internalize everything she did said <laughs> because and it I, was directed at you <laughs> i know and i my spaced her back i said well i did make sure that you were on the inside and she was just sending a blanket post, right? Mm-hmm. Just for information. And I screwed that relationship up because of my stupidity. <laughs> and that relationship didn't last maybe he, two or three weeks after he that. He manned the hell yeah. out of that relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool. She Rosie was, for the win. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It worked out better in the end, though. It did. Yep. It did. It did. I have my beautiful wife and my two beautiful girls, and life is good. Life and is your good. horse? My horse, oh man, I can't believe I didn't speak. Do you know who my horse is? 
Are you talking about the Mastiff? Yes. Yes. I remember him whenever he was this big. Yeah. Yeah, when you could pick him up and it wasn't a problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, now he, he, like, no. he could eat you. He's <laughs> that's a back injury. Two hundred and fifteen, almost two hundred and twenty pounds now. Yeah, he's a big dog. Yeah. Big, big dog. baby. Big, big dog. Big baby. Big baby. Well. You yeah. have big babies. They're not big. Well, we lost the one. Right. So, but yeah, Brownie's like, I think the last time we took him to the vet and he got on the scale, he was 58 pounds. Okay. So he's not yeah, big. That's and not then big. the Australian Shepherd we got inherited, basically. She's only 45, 50 pounds, something like that. 30, okay. that's hair. Yes. Oh, Dude, yeah. I was wearing a, a black fire department shirt today. And Rachel and I were out running errands, and we stopped by the chiropractor. She looks at me, and she goes, oh, my God, you're covered in hair. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. I had all this white <laughs> Australian shepherd hair all over this black shirt. How's Brownie doing with her? Uh, really good. Like, he kind of keeps his distance, you know. I mean, they don't – it's not like whenever yep. we had Oreo where they, yeah. you know, they would lay on the – dog bed or the yeah, couch they were, and they, they were just were, right on top of each yeah, other right. all the time. I remember that. And with her, it's not that way, but she's kind of weird. Like she doesn't even sleep because Brownie sleeps in the bedroom on the dog bed. You know, whenever we go to bed at night, I'm like, Hey, come on, let's go to bed. And right back to his spot on the dog bed and he's in the bedroom. She won't stay in there. She sleeps out in the hallway or she'll be on the couch I mean, but she doesn't, the only time she slept in the bedroom was the other night whenever we had that big storm and, uh, she's probably still, building you know, that the, dress, though. she was like that before yeah. they said at whenever she was with the other people, the other people, she slept out in the hallway too. How long have you had her? About a month. Okay. So she's so, a new addition. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It'll just take a so little you, while. She so got here by the same time we got our dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she's a great dog. I mean, she's she's 12 years old. So, I mean, she's, you know, she's chill. She does great with Brownie. And I think that's one of the reasons why is because she's not all over him all the time. You know, she's kind of started to do a little bit of that hurting thing. And he kind of lets her get away with it most (laughs) of the time. But, like, she tried to play with him this morning. And, like, he wasn't having it. And he gave her a little bit of... The side eye, but she knows, and right. she just backed up. Backs off. And it was, you know, she's mature. Yeah, and she's a female. So, well, we tried to get another little pit bull female puppy. Really? That's that was our first choice, um, because she kind of looked like Oreo, and whenever we okay. went and you know saw her, she kind of was the same kind of goofy puppy. You know, great probably would have been a great dog. Her and Brownie did not get along at all like we took them on walks a couple times and it was okay and then we brought her home to kind of let her you know check out the house and so she would have her get her smell there so he could smell her and we get him used to her right and we had him in the backyard and dude i don't know what it was that set him off but it was it was evident within it was five good, minutes it was not going to work it was not a good match yeah yeah because she was going after him and we're talking about a puppy and she was he was barking growl at her and she was going right after him 
Mm. And I was like, yeah, he would end up doing a lot of damage, and I don't want that. So That wouldn't be good for anybody. No. So we got him. We got the Australian Shepherd. So we're good for a little while. We're getting another one, too. Really? You empty nester. You're just trying to fill the house. Yeah, it's trying to it's fill a, the house. It's back a puppy up. puppy. Puppy puppy. Dude. Is your wife still working with the horses? Yes. Okay. Yep, she is. So doing lots of good work. Awesome. So we probably have her back on here before too long. We got some things to discuss. So, but yeah. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. Oh, man. I this think is, we're, this has been a blast, man. Yeah. It really has, y'all. Just talking. Not not so much reminiscing, but just thinking about things that I've experienced. It's pretty cool to purge that every now and again. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. And I mean, we, it is. And that's, you know, that's why we started the podcast is, you know, get people to come on, talk, tell their story, yeah. share, and then maybe help somebody else. Can help somebody you don't even know. You know, somebody stumbles across this or some friend sends it to somebody and says, hey, check out what this guy has to say. I think it's applicable to you. Right. You know? Right. And, you know, keep somebody from going down a bad road or whatever. Hey, you can't. Hey, it's a win. It's definitely a win. Yeah. It's definitely a win. Giving back, man. Taking, I don't want to say taking your junk or your garbage, but taking your experiences, good, bad, ugly, taking it all and using it to help someone else can never go wrong with that. Oh, yeah. And if you get my mom's book. <laughs> yeah, I found it on Amazon. It's called A Story to Life, Tales of Toil and Grace. Mozilla Hamilton. Hampton. 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 Sorry. I don't, know why, I don't know why I said Hamilton. <clears throat> yeah. I know your last name. Yeah. yeah. No, Great I've book. known you a day or two. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of days. Just yeah. a couple of days. Fifteen ninety five, <laughs> and it's on Prime, too. So you can get it if you order it right now. Well, this is if I, if I order it right now. Yeah. I'd get it in two days. <laughs> there you go. Great book. Great book. Read it by the weekend. So. Yeah. All right, Rosie. You're right, but you're writing a book, right? I'm in the process, yes, of writing my story. Well, there you the go. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I think they made a movie out of that Yeah, already. you might want to yeah. check on that one. Well, well that's not the title. <laughs> Would you like to know the title? Sure. Yeah. I could tell you the title. That's that's up to you, man. You know, you can hold it till I'll you know. You what, I'm gonna I'll hold it. Hold it. I'm gonna hold it. And then whenever I give like, you guys the exclusive, isn't there that you what go. they call yeah. it? Yeah, we'll get the exclusive. the exclusive. Whenever about let's say a month before it gets ready to, you're gonna release it. Let us know. We'll have you back on the show so that way it drops a couple days before. You know, the podcast will come out a couple days before the book comes out and we'll start pitching it. All right, there you go. You gotta give yeah. us a signed copy though. Consider it done. I'll give you guys freebies like I got. Oh, I wouldn't. I don't want the freebie. I just yeah, want to sign no, a copy. I pay for it. I'll pay for it. I'll yeah. give you a freebie. I'll give you guys a freebie. I mean, I won't turn down a freebie. Yeah. Well, thank we'll you. I'll give you a tip. It. We'll get. <laughs> All right. I'll pay for the autograph. Rosie, thanks for coming on. Hey. Really appreciate it, man. It's my pleasure. Good my pleasure, guys. Everybody, thanks for stopping by. Um, just like we end every episode. If you are struggling, having a problem, there's resources out there. Reach out. And if you know somebody that is struggling or having a problem, you know, don't be afraid to say something. Talk to them. 
there are resources out there. So take care of yourself and have a good one.